Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Under the boughs unbowed, all clothed in the snowy shroud, she had no heart so hardened that she couldn't still enjoy an episode of Columbia House Party. Oh, man, I was wondering how you're going to do this one. Yeah, That's not good. not the best one. But it, wor- it works. It's fine. Some of these are hard, man. Yeah. At least I'm, uh, there's some effort here still. Not the best one. No, but I liked it. Hey, I was wondering how you're going to get there and you got there, they're, so... They're not giving me a lot to work with. There. No, they're not. It's, and we could have gone deeper, but there's not a... We'll just go through the whole song until we get there. Yeah, until we get, <laughs> until to, we get to something that's not about... Whatever this is about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's not let's not spoil it all. Jake, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. This is a good episode for the weather today. My big issue with them is that they complain about the winter at some point. Don't call yourself the Decemberists and then complain about the winter being too long. I guess that's true. But also, like, winter sucks. So. Sorry, the Decemberists. They're Portland. They don't get winter. Oh yeah, they're Portland. They're Portland. They're, it's all like nice and rainy. It's not like <laughs> so, they don't get this shit. When we prepare for these episodes, I will always search the band's name or the album's name for tweets from people I follow. Just to like see if there are any notes I'm missing or like potential guests or like for this one, for example, uh, do you know who Matt Moore is, the basketball writer? He's HP Basketball on Twitter. Oh yes, okay. So he like had Decemberists in his like wedding playlist and played one of the songs like when his like with a little video with his son. And just like, yeah, I've come across stuff like that. Anyway, someone, I want to say it was Ian Carmel from All Fantasy Everything and a lot of other stuff. He's the best. Had suggested the Portland Trailblazers or he was like brainstorming ideas for the Portland Trailblazers, like city alternate jerseys. <laughs> and I think it was Steve McPherson, another basketball Twitter guy, suggested Decemberists themed jerseys <laughs> for the for the Trailblazers. I think that works. I do have second in my notes today in all caps, the most Portland band. Yeah. Which I feel like. We'll get into, but boy, are they ever. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of Portland. Yeah. A lot of Portland. Today, we're talking about the Decemberist, Chris Walla, probably best known for Death Cab. He produced a ton of other cool bands. He produced The Thermals and Tegan and Sarah and Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin. He rules. He has a hand in a lot of really cool stuff from that era and up to the current day. He also helped out on two albums and one EP for the Decemberists. A lot of options. Yeah, we could have gone the Decemberists. Could have gone a lot of ways with this one, but I li- I like where we ended up. That's because you're a it's because you're a wife guy, a <laughs> crane wife guy. <laughs> I had my notes here have four different my wife jokes I could have made. Okay, I went with calling you a crane wife. I like guy. I like that. 
Jake, uh, wait, what's uh, what's going on? Give cra- us the, the, cra- give us the down the crane the wife is the precursor to the cliff wife, is what oh, I think wow. it is. I couldn't figure out how to do a my crane wife in a Borat voice. I, no, I tried it earlier and it just didn't sound right. But with Chris Wall, you could have done a someone so loves you Borat Yeltsin and then crane wife, some maybe no, <sighs> that doesn't work. You're mad at me now, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Well, luckily, we have a guest, so I don't have to talk to you as much <laughs> for this episode. We'll introduce our guest shortly. But Jake, tee us up. Why are we going with Crane Wife? I felt there was basically two December's records we could have done here, both of which were produced by Chris Walla, which would be Picker-esque and Crane Wife. I'm Shocking that he had a hand in the, the two best December's records. Yeah. yeah. Not, not to jump ahead. <laughs> I chose a Crane Wife because this is a record that, as we talked about last week with Give Up from the Postal Service... This is an album that I never listened to. And then, but every time I do, I'm like, wow, that album rules. And going back to doing this episode, I was like, what? I was thinking about the Tempers. And I just think that this album is A, very, very good, but it also very much fits our Columbia House Party love of concept records and has like a nice through story. And I think it's just a more interesting album, a more interesting story than Picaresque is. I do really like this album. I do really like this band. They're a band that I also think is very much of a time in my life. What did you What did you go to school for? I started in a split of journalism and communications. Okay. And then I went to just communications. And then I was undeclared for a while. And then I ended up with a creative writing degree. Okay. Which was basically an English degree. I was going to say. Yeah. That's, that would explain a lot of your, your sure love would. of this album. Sure would. This album came out the year before I went to university and was absolutely an album I listened to in university. I was like, hmm, I'm literate and I like writing and English things. When I was like trying to trick myself to go to the library to read books I don't actually like, but to sound like, like, oh no, I love Ulysses for sure. I'm going to read the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, The Tempest is my favorite Shakespeare play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think this is the most Columbia House Party of the December album. Yeah, that's fair. For many reasons. So today, as we've said, we are talking about The Crane Wife. And under the Bows unbowed All clothed in a snowy shroud She had no heart so hardened All under the bows unbowed to break it down joining us today he has nothing to plug he wants us to make no mention of anything about his life (laughs) other than his deep music knowledge 
It's true. Jake's friend, Wilson. Yeah. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, man. Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah. Came, uh, came all the way in from Ottawa just to record this. I mean, that's not true. Everyone should know, on top of having just like a very smooth speaking voice, Wilson also is, he looks very Decemberist yes. today. When we were sort of brainstorming the episode and Wilson was like, what about Decemberist? I was like, yeah, of course you're coming on to talk about the Decemberist. My, uh, my wife described me a couple of weeks ago as looking like the main villain in a Guy Ritchie gritty reboot of Tintin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can see it. Yeah, you know, like the peacoat. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he has a toque not covering his ears. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, and, and we were actually beard. talking yesterday about his ship captain's coat. Yeah, I'm like it's the the, the stevedore chic. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, if they ever make that gritty Tintin, we know where, we know Look, who to call. Everything else has been turned into a gritty Netflix right? or Hulu show. Guy Ritchie, come on the pod. <laughs> come talk about Madonna. Yeah. Wilson, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having this me, guys. This is exciting. When, when Jake said come on the pod, I said there's one album I want to talk about, and it's Kraftwerk's Audubon. But if there are two albums I want to talk about, <laughs> it's The Crane Wife by The Decemberists. Jake gave us a little bit about why he wanted to talk about The Crane Wife. Why The Crane Wife for you? Uh, so like Jake, I did, a, I did an English degree, a straight lit for me. So I feel like the word that's most often used to describe The Decemberists is literate, which I guess means they can read, unlike <laughs> most other bands that we listen to. Who Every other read. band are just stupid. They can't. Yeah, that's Taking it. Back Sunday claims to be literate and stylish. Come on. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's one other literate band. There you go. Two literate bands. No, but it's, uh, as Jake said, it very much like that kind of mid-2000s indie rock boom, I guess. And especially this album is interesting because it's the first one that they recorded on a major label and just kind of adapting their sound to having money all of a sudden. They made some really interesting decisions. But Getting Chris Walla. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's an album that I've listened to probably 20 times in the last week. And I don't know if I've listened to it 20 times in the five years prior to this week. Every time yeah. we do one of these episodes, I just listen to nothing but that album for a week. Yeah. And then sometimes after. All right, Jake, Wilson, you guys both wanted to do this album. I'm really excited to do it. I hadn't listened to it in a really long time until this week. Jake, take it away, man. All right. So the Decemberists formed in 2000 when Colin Malloy left a band called Tarkio and moved to Portland. As I said, this is the most Portland band. He met Nate Query, who introduced him to Jenny Conley when the three scored a silent film together. So in case you thought the Decemberists weren't exactly who you think they are, they, they met a scoring a silent film. film. All right. Yeah. Let's do this off the top because we're just going to be talking around it the whole episode. I feel like I should fucking hate the Decemberists. Yeah. I don't really love the word twee to describe mm. things, but like everything about this band is so annoying. It's very clever for clever's sake sometimes. Yeah. But they happen to also be really good. They're, they do it really well. Yeah. And yeah. like they straddle this line of like really annoying and like almost cloying, but, yeah. but they never quite go all the way over the edge to like being like, no, fuck you guys. Well, there's one time they do. Yeah, okay, fine. The, I, I'm jumping ahead in my notes here a little bit, but Michael Schur directed one of their videos, and it's just like an infinite jest-based video. Yes, that sucks. That that crosses the line for me. Yeah, I agree. But like, <laughs> so but like video's bad. And, but like half their songs like, oh, fa-la-la, I'm a little chimney sweep, ha-ha-ha. And like, you should be like, why does this song work? There's a song on Picaresque about a barrow boy, but it's mm-hmm. a beautiful song. You're like, I yeah. want to hate you, but I don't. Dylan, I'm going to need a clip of that thing that Jake, the Jake is <laughs> a chimney sweep. Just, you know, just in case Jake needs it for his need, reel. Need I, can do, I can do accents. <laughs> could be the new theme song. It could. That'll, that'll lead the shows now. Yeah, that's good. The reason I went on that little tangent because of this next point, they're named after the Decemberist Revolt, an 1825 insurrection in Imperial Russia. Yeah, it's the Russian Revolution you haven't heard of. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. one that didn't work. Exactly. In 2001, they released their debut EP, Five Songs, and in 2002, released their debut album, Castaways and Cutouts. 
They signed to Kill Rock Stars after that album came out, which then re-released it uh, in 2003. They released Her Majesty the Decembrists in 2004. And 2004 is sort of where the Crane Wife, I think, Decembrists were birthed. Because in 2004, they released a song called The Tain, which is an 18 and a half minute single based on the Irish myth epic. I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. Tain Bo Cullinge. It's probably close. That was sort of this multi-part long epic thing, which we'll see a lot here. Can I can I tell a story about the Tain quickly? Yes, please. So when I was in university, I had a radio show on um, the University of Western Ontario's radio station that they had. And... I had to once, I had a, I co-hosted with a friend of mine and there was one week that he couldn't make it. So I hosted on my own and I had, I didn't have to do any of the radio training because he was the host and I was ostensibly just the other guy. So I didn't really know how the Isn't board worked. Oh, that's amazing. The other guy. Didn't know how the board worked. Didn't really know how to do the ads, <laughs> but you know, he couldn't make it. So it was just me in the booth and I really needed to go to the bathroom, but the bathroom, you had to go from the second level down to the main floor in the like student union building at Western. So it's like, oh, I'll put the Tane on. And I played all 18 minutes of the Tane and had time to go to the bathroom and get a snack and you come back. so lucky. So one time I did play-by-play <laughs> when I was at UBC. Mm-hmm. So I did like men's and women's basketball. And then sometimes I would do color commentary for women's hockey. But there were, because it was all just like students and people who worked in the athletic department who would do the play-by-play in color, sometimes people would like bail and like I would get a message five minutes before the game that's like, hey, I'm not done this essay. Uh, I can't make it. So I'm the only voice. But there is no, <laughs> I can't put an 18-minute song on during no. halftime. Yeah. I still have to be talking. I remember there was one time where like, I just, I spent the whole game having to use the bathroom and yeah. yeah I could have used, could have used the table. There are no jock jams that are long enough for a bathroom break. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Thankfully. I just went back to my dorm room and listened to this while playing like yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Or now, something. <laughs> to be clear, this was when I went back to school. Oh, okay. When I was in undergrad, I didn't do anything. Yeah. No, regrettably. Like I went back to Queens a couple weeks ago and was like walking around and like the amount of things that if I were going back now, I would be totally involved in. I think about that all the time. I think about like, man, I could have done like a, any, anything, yeah. literally anything. Crippling social anxiety will uh, yeah. keep you from doing stuff. Sure will. Anyway, in 2005, the band released their final album with Kill Rockstars, which was called Picaresque, which has my favorite December song on it, a little song called The Infanta. Here she comes in her palanquin on the back of an elephant on a bed made of linen and sequins and silk. All astride on her father's line with the king and his concubines and her nurse with her pitchers of liquors and milk. And we'll all 
there's a very strong case to be made that you can tell whether or not you would like the Decemberists by listening to that song. Yeah. and Listen to the Infanta and that's everything the Decemberists <laughs> have ever done in their entire career. And that was the first December song I heard because that was the first album I listened to because I think I saw the video for We Both Go Down Together okay. in high school and I was like, that was a cool tune. Hmm. And then I listened to the album and I was like, this is not what I was expecting at all. That song's also a good example of what I mean when I say the December sound like if the guy from Placebo got really into John K. Sampson. Man, it's such a good description. Holy it's, shit. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's so good. So December signed to Capitol Records for their major label debut, which was produced by Chris Walla. And Tucker Martin, who has also produced bands like The Long Winters, My Morning Jacket, Nico Case, Laura Veers, and Case Lang Veers. The Crane Wife, their Capitol Records debut, was released on October 3rd, 2006. So we're going to talk about The Crane Wife after this. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crane Wife released on October 3rd, 2006. The cover art was done by Carson Ellis, who is Colin Malloy's wife, who has done the artwork for each of the band's his, albums. His Crane Wife or regular wife? <laughs> God damn it, Blake. I think both. <laughs> I don't need to be on the rest of this podcast, man. It's no, been, it's great. It's been it's great so seeing you, Blake. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks We're warm and tired. Again, just to keep things Decemberisty, the band's tour for this album was called the Route of the Patagons Tour. So when I initially read that in the notes, I thought, I hate that. And then I remembered <laughs> that the Mountain Goats also name all of their tours ridiculous things yes, like that. Yes, Curse of the Basilisk, I think the, is the one. Grotto of the Grotto Basilisk of the Basilisk was the yes. most recent one, yeah. So I kind of hate it, but when the Mountain Goats do it, it's okay. So it's fine. Yeah, well, of course, because if the Mountain Goats do it, everything's fine. They can do whatever. Uh, the album was... Produced by Chris Wall, as I said, who also provided backing vocals and keyboards. Laura Veers sings on Yankee Bayonet. And the album itself is sort of centered around two song cycles. One would be The Crane Wife. The other would be The Island. And The Island fucking rules. There's an island hidden in the sound Lapping currents lay your boat to ground 
fix your barbin bayonet The curlews carve their arabesque And sorrow fills the silence all around You come and see understand that it's a 12 minute song and it's a self-contained kind of story on the album i'm curious if you came across in your research why the three parts of crane wife are split up into two different songs but the island is all one even though it's kind of three discrete songs or four yes discrete songs and even. i would say it's even more the island is more like three separate songs I yeah think, than yeah Ukraine i mean was. i get it it's supposed to be like a three-act story yeah but those could like why split the i this is not a criticism i'm legitimately curious why split up crane wife and not only split up split up the songs but different parts of the album and backwards but then the island is all one thing so after i was doing some i was doing some research into this as well even though i'm not responsible for doing the research yeah, um, I, love, I love being carried by others so. no no problem when they released what a terrible world what a beautiful world which was their second last record something like that six, 15 16 colin malloy did an ama on Reddit and somebody asked him that exact question. So this is a quote from Colin Malloy. Funny, it was Chris Walla's brilliant idea. I'd originally had the three crane wives together at the end of the record going straight into Sons and Daughters, which were kind of designed to sit one into the other like a cute sonic Mariushka doll. Matryoshka? 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 The Russian nesting dolls. The Russian nesting dolls. You know those things. But he being the Katurian that he was and might still be suggested that Crane 3 should start the record and it struck. So that's it. Just That's it. Chris Walla was like, now let's mix it up. In that world, that means the island opens this record? Or they move something else to the top. Yeah, they'd have to move something else to the top. Overlancher maybe? Yeah, you can't can't open the record with the island. You can't do a 12-minute song (laughs) to open the album. But it's interesting because sometimes, like I've seen, I've never seen the Decemberist as a band, um, but I've seen Colin Malloy a couple of times and when he performs the song he does it in order one two three but when they toured the album in 2016 i was looking at set lists and sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't interesting so they would often open the show with crane three and then play crane wife one and two as the last song in the main set okay but sometimes they play all three of them one two three i do like i understand once you commit to that on the album opening sets with crane wife three i just I'm a very firm believer that like bands should open their sets with one of their album openers. It just like, yeah. it's such a good, like takes everyone to that album and it, it's just like it's, mentally yeah. tidy. It's an easy way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, that, no, was my, that no, was my, no, that's a great it's, question. And I like that the answer is just Chris Wall felt like Chris Wall is yeah. smart. <laughs> I think I do get how they did it though. Cause I think that Crane Wife three, like the way the bass and the drums kick in to me, that's very much an opening of an album kind of sound. Whereas I don't know if it would, if crane three specifically would have the same effect after one and two. From a literary standpoint as well, it's interesting because then you're starting kind of in media res, like you're getting the, basically the, the kind of last act of the crane wife story 
And then you have to think like, oh, what? I wonder what happened here. Why and, was and he? And also, here's another story. Here's yeah, another full three act yeah. story. Before so here's you get it. so here's the beginning of the story, and then you think, oh, what's happening there? Like, no, 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 we'll and get then, there. Don't and worry. Then here about are it. a bunch of self-contained one-song stories. And then remember that other song. Speaking we were of about? speaking of the story of the crane wife, why don't we take a listen to the crane wife? I am a poor man. I have wealth nor fame. I have my two hands. I house to my name and the winter's so and the winter's so long and the winter's so and the winter's so Island is based on The Tempest by William Shakespeare. The Crane Wife is based on Tsuru no Onegashi, which is a tale of Japanese folklore. In the story of The Crane Wife, a man marries a woman who is in fact a crane disguised as a human. To make money, the crane wife plucks her own feathers to weave silk brocade, which the man sells, but she becomes increasingly ill as she does so. When the man discovers his wife's true identity and the nature of her illness, Devastated by the truth, he demands her to stop, but she says she was doing it for love and for them. The man says that love exists without sacrifices, but he was wrong. He who lives without sacrifices for someone else doesn't deserve to be with a crane. I read this in the notes and this idea of like, he who lives without sacrifices for someone else doesn't deserve to be with a crane as if like, this is the highest thing you can aspire to is to be with a crane. (laughs) Someone sacrificing for your love, man. There are also like a half dozen different crane wife yeah. parables yeah. and takeaways from them like the way that different ones are framed you get different lessons from mm-hmm. um so sometimes it's about sacrifice sometimes they're about greed where like he just pushes and pushes there are some other ones too and like obviously it begins with this crane being on his doorstep which kind of i think sets like this injured crane that he nurses back to health yeah. in at least some of the iterations that it's just like i don't know it's a very cool story yeah it, i just i found it so weird as i was trying to find like the crane wife there are a bunch of different well, I mean, versions. It's, it's folklore, and, right? Like yeah. that's they like, yeah, all get they adapted change. and but they, they're, and... they get pretty different yeah. in terms of what you're taking away from them and like what actually, you know, what the kind of act three drama is yeah. in the story. Well, and it's interesting that the 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 turning point, if you will, like the flip, is that he 
you know, decides that he needs to know how she's actually weaving this cloth. And so he looks in on her, despite she has said explicitly, do not look at me while I am doing this. And she leaves. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice. So when Orpheus Naturally, is taking Eurydice, sorry, Greek <laughs> myth. So again, just like this idea of archetypes kind yeah. of goes, this was my like taking notes on the Crane The literacy, album. the literary ar- aspect. Ar- archetypal is the word for the album. Yes. But it, it it's that idea of when Orpheus is, is taking Eurydice's back from Hades, he's not supposed to look back. And then he does, it gets the better of him and he looks back and she just disappears and she's gone. So that idea. To this point of these sort of, hyper-referential, hyper-literate, mm-hmm. whatever you would call them. Conway's actually been asked about this before and about how there's such a, like, as you said, an English major's band. He told Spin, he said, I don't mean to send people to the dictionary. That's <laughs> not what I'm setting out to do to educate people in any way. It's one of those things that always gets talked about the band. And honestly, when I'm writing these things, I'm just trying to use the breadth of the language, this language that's so beautiful. Putting in words you wouldn't maybe see in a pop song, but you wouldn't bat an eyelash at in a poem. I guess it's sort of my English major background rearing its ugly head. But also, like, he says that and then he references characters from The Tempest. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, like you, can't, you can't have it both ways. And like, also you're either everything doing about your well, band. Yeah. And, like, in referencing the characters from The Tempest, it's not like he talks about Prospero, who's the guy people know from The Tempest. It's <laughs> no. Sycorax. Yeah, exactly. Like, have you done a deep read of The Tempest not recently and remember that Caliban's mother is Sycorax? Because she does not appear in the play. <laughs> yeah, she's only referenced. It's just a named because character. Because the whole thing yeah. is that the only woman in the entire play is his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that when this band almost seemingly consciously tries to go away from being this like hyper-literate referential band, they're way less interesting. Yeah. Like yeah. their pop records are not less nearly as interesting yeah. as these like. Yeah. What's weird is you would think that making pop records, maybe your highs are a little higher, but the albums just aren't as yeah. deep and the, the floor is a little lower. But really until maybe 2018, like I don't think they've had anything that's as good as no. what's on this album. So. No. No, I agree. I mean, again, we should save that for the debate segment, I guess. But. So speaking of The Island, I have two points I want to make. One, uh, Jake, you've said a couple of times that The Island is your favorite song on the album. Yes. I find this amazing because you hate prog rock. Correct. I, I can't reconcile those two at all. I, I because under- this is no, a hun- I understand. Like, if Led Zeppelin was around was a band today and were formed in Portland, all of their music would sound like this. I know no every and I'm single aware of this. song. I think I said last night the exact words that Led Zeppelin is bad. Yes, you you did. The other point that I want to make is like it kind of runs through the crane wife, but this story is it's just brutal. Yeah. Like it is awful. I've been thinking about this line for days and it like it makes me really sad. It's from the drowning, the third part of the island. It's forget you once had sweethearts, they've forgotten you. Think you not on parents, they've forgotten too. Yes. And this is after he has killed, the, like this woman is dead. Yeah. He has murdered her. And then like, oh, don't worry about it. Nobody remembers You'll you. not feel the drowning. Yeah, you won't. Yeah, you won't feel it. It's yeah. fine. We had different takes listening to the island. My whole thing was like, I'm listening to it and I'm like, okay, this is like East Coast folk. Give me a fiddle. <laughs> and like all it like they play gives like you an organ th- instead. They play like thirty different instruments over the course of this album. It's just like I want a fiddle on the really newfy part of Landlord's Daughter. <laughs> instead, yeah. you get an organ solo. And then in 2011, they add a fiddler to the album. <laughs> it's like, like, come on, yeah, what was it? Sarah Watkins for The King Is Dead. They have a fiddle. Oh yeah, there's yeah on the album. Yeah, I'm just like, why couldn't you figure this out earlier? Give it <laughs> like Landlord's Daughter is a newfie song. Like yeah. that could be by. Any East Coast band, <laughs> just throw a fiddle in there. I don't know. They play almost literally every other instrument on this That's album. That's true, so. yeah. yeah. To your point, Wilson, about sort of the violence and the yeah. darkness, this is quite a 
bloody violent it's, record. Yeah, one of the notes I have is grisly. Yeah, which and is grim. And like we've talked before on the show about, you know, uh albums that set very sad lyrics to very happy music. This sets just like brutal lyrics oh, to these like sort of upbeat folk tunes. Even Malloy himself has said that he considers the album to be extremely bloody and violent, but he also notes that it has nothing to do with the current political climate when it was written, which I find interesting. Cuz there are a couple songs that are like pretty much about like the the difficulties of war and like yeah. the, I mean I was going to say the downside of war it's it's only downside <laughs> but <laughs> other he's, than oil I guess but like this know. was in 2006 which is like the height yeah. of like the fuck yeah. bush movement which well, is I, I've heard him refer to the Decembrists as a wartime band as yeah. well because they were formed like the week the United States invaded Afghanistan I think yeah which is which I again I think is interesting because he says he doesn't consider it to be political he says, insofar as any of this stuff is political, there's a few songs in our catalog that tend to be more topical or politically charged, but I don't think of The Crane Wife as being full of these songs. The most political song on there would be Sons and Daughters, which was more of a mantra or a slogan about peace and camaraderie and coming together. Maybe that was in response to the years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq, which was starting to come to an end, while sort of coming to an end. It seemed like every band at this time was making a political record. And they're making literal war songs yes. that they're mm-hmm. saying are not political. Like, Shanko Butchers and When the War Came could both have been, like, like obviously there's historical totally. con- context in there, but also they could have very much been like, yeah, we released this because, like, we're sick of the war and this is yeah. bullshit. Well, you know what, Blake? That's a great segue to talk about Shanko Butchers. The Shanko Butchers right tonight You better shut your windows tight they're sharpening their cleavers and their knives And taking all their whiskey by the pine Cause everybody knows If you don't mind your mother's words Oh, it can will blow Ravens from your curls Everybody moans Everybody shakes Shank Hill butchers wanna catch you The Shank Hill butchers wanna cut you The Shank Hill butchers wanna catch you Shanko Butchers is about the Shanko Butchers, who were a faction of the Ulster Volunteer Force, a Protestant paramilitary organization who split off from the UFV in the 70s and then committed a series of grisly murders. The Butchers abducted seven random Catholic citizens of Northern Ireland and killed them in the middle of the night by slashing their throats. They also carried out several other shootings and bomb attacks, killing as many as 32 people. In response to sort of this super violent album, Colin Malloy said, it's pretty bloody. They all tend to have varying degrees of violence, but there's a little more in here. There's a lot of warring, but that's the Decemberist MO. Everything exists in wartime in Decemberist songs. There's always some distant battle happening. So it's interesting that the 
what Blake was saying about it being a like war being a, a theme that permeates the album. It's interesting to me the way that they deal with war. So in the Shankill Butchers, for example, he's using this real group who were terrorizing Belfast in the 70s. He uses them almost as like a boogeyman story for your children or like a like a <laughs> right. fairy tale, you know? Like it's you're singing this to your kids saying, you know, it, it, what's you go the, to the Shankill Butchers. Yeah, yeah, if you don't mind your mother's words, a wicked wind will blow the ribbons from your curls. The Shankill Butchers want to catch you awake. So like eat your vegetables, go to bed on time, say your prayers, <laughs> yeah. or these if guys you, who if are- If you talk back to me one more time- You will literally be killed. The Shankill yeah, Butchers are going to get by you. By these people yeah. who are killing people in our neighborhood. So <laughs> For real. for Like for real. Yeah. yeah. And I, just, I don't know if that makes Colin Malloy a genius or a psychopath, but I like it. Why not both? I mean, I think I feel like those go hand in hand a lot of the time. A lot of the time. I think he's such an interesting songwriter because he is so referential. And like, I think even more so than, you know, we obviously talked a lot about John K. Sampson a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. who is also a very referential writer, but tends to pull more from his own personal experiences and then twist those into references and metaphors. Yes. Whereas, Where this all feels like extremely intentional. Yes. And it's all adapted. Yeah. Which I find really interesting because it works. And kind of what we were talking about them being so Portland and so Decemberisty, I feel like it shouldn't work. But it totally it wor- works. It really it's but creepy. also like yeah. how we've told stories for like ever. There are a lot of quick little folklore things that yeah. have a sing songy tune but are terrible in yeah. content. Yeah. This is just like a way to tell stories. It's true. Again, the word of the week is archetypal. Yeah. <laughs> the other story on this album that is also incredibly violent is When the War Came.
the Decembers do this like every couple albums where they're just all of a sudden like, oh, you're a rock band. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> you're oh, really oh, you good guys at can it. Really, yeah, you can really rock. Most of the King's Dead is like that. It's just like, oh, when you guys want to be, you don't have to be this referential folk band. You yeah, can just you can, pull out oh, your yeah. guitars. I can't believe we haven't discussed this yet, but the Decembers have the band member with the best name in the history of popular music. Their guitarist name is Chris Funk. <laughs> that's his lit. That's his yeah, his birth name. Changed. He has not changed his name. Well, he's like, he, what else was he gonna do? Bad, he should be the bass player, really. With that, oh, that would be good. Just going back to how we're talking about how it's bloody and brutal and everything. I thought about trying to compile the the death toll mm, of the of album, the record of the record because I thought that would be really interesting. I feel like this song boosts this, it up. The, the, that's it. So somewhere between nine hundred thousand and a million people, yeah. uh, in the siege of Leningrad. So I was just like, no, that's too much. I'm. <laughs> it's not gonna work. No, not gonna work. As you say, this this song is about. The 900-day siege of Leningrad in the Second World War, which also like a 900-day siege. Jesus Christ, the Second World War was a nightmare. It's an inefficient siege. Yeah. If you don't know your World War II history, uh, the siege of Leningrad was when the German army surrounded the city entirely. And as a result, a lot of the city died of starvation. The final death toll is believed to be around 1 million people, which is insane. Malloy said that the last great book I read was Hunger by Elise Blackwell. It's about the siege of Leningrad in World War II. And there was a botanical institute. During the siege, which lasted a long time, the entire population was starving, but all of the botanists in the Institute swore themselves to protect the catalog of seeds and plants and things from not only a starving population, but also from themselves. It's pretty amazing, and I actually ended up writing When the War Came about that. To me, this is the creepiest song on the album. Oh, definitely. Like it's- this idea of like, defending food from people and also yourself. Yeah, the, the war songs on this album are really... Really, really interesting. Like the the way that they take this microcosm of the siege of Leningrad and they look at this, you know, botany institute and we're going to save the seeds and everything is really, really interesting. Yeah. We're going to talk about how this album was received because that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff to digest. <laughs> we're going to talk about how this was received after this. All right, so if you're not depressed yet. <laughs> or scared. Yeah, or scared. I could imagine people listening to these songs, I was going to say out of context. There, there's no context. They are, they're self-contained stories. Yeah. They're, I feel like you. there needs to be some sort of warning or you need to be a December's fan already to really get what they're doing here. Yeah. I'm curious though, Jake, how was, was this received really well? Obviously, the people who would be receiving this and reviewing it are people who would have been already like the, those buried entries aren't there. This album was incredibly well received. Pitchfork gave it an 8.4. The AV club gave it an A entertainment weekly gave it a B plus got four stars from spin. It got a good pitchfork review. Yeah. 8.4. Well, what we've learned from the, doing this podcast is that means the album's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> early, early to mid two thousands pitchfork reviews are, but often, this is also like, yes, this is such a pitchfork album. Yes. from mid But the 10th year anniversary release also got a good pitchfork review. Oh, so it, so, oh, so it breaks that thing of it, like, yeah, they re-review it. Yeah. yeah. No, they they liked the they liked the reedition. <laughs> uh, it was named number forty one on Pitchfork's top fifty of two thousand six. It was number nineteen on Pop Matters top sixty of two thousand six. Just press play named it the second best album of the two thousands. And in the least shocking thing that's ever happened, NPR listeners called it the best album of two thousand six, which <laughs> of course they did. As of February two thousand nine, it sold two hundred eighty nine thousand copies. The band also did a fun. <laughs> little marketing thing with this that I have forgotten about until doing the research. For Ovalencia, 
they encourage fans to make their own music video oh, yeah. of the band in front the of a green, green screen. screen. And then Stephen Colbert claimed that the band had ripped him off because he had also done a green screen challenge. And so they ended up going on the Colbert Rapport to have a guitar solo competition. Chris Funk, as we discussed, represented the band. Colbert pulled out of the competition yeah, he with pulled an injury. It, he, he pulled it. Yeah, he hurt his hand. Yeah. And then called on Peter Frampton to replace him. This is a wrestling angle. Yeah. Yeah. There's a beef, the, but then the guy's like, well, I can't fight. You got to fight my head. Totally. It was such a work. Yeah. yeah and But great. to that point, uh, Colin Malloy has said that the whole thing was unscripted. They knew that Peter Frampton would be involved, but they actually didn't know. Wrestling is real. Yeah. They didn't know what was going to oh, happen. And they totally got to play real. their solo. The, my favorite part about the green screen guitar solo contest, the prize for winning was a copy of the crane life. (laughs) (laughs) So even if they had won, they would just get a copy of their own record. Just add it to the pile. This album has sort of stuck around in sort of the popular consciousness. December has played crane wife three on an episode of parks and recreation where they opened the festival. Yeah, we need, we need to talk about this. So if you haven't seen the episode of parks, it's the sixth season finale. They're putting on the unity concert concert. Yeah. The bands involved in this, fictional concert are the Decemberists, Letters to Cleo, Genuine, Mouse Rat, <laughs> and Bobby Night Ranger, and Yola Tango, right? Which is Yola Tango, mm-hmm. and Land Ho, which is Jeff Tweedy and some guys playing a Wilco song. But like the Decemberists are playing at like three in the afternoon. We're supposed to imagine that this festival, which like is supposed to the whole point of it is to raise money and bring people in. And you pull on your shitty local Dave Matthews ripoff band as the second last band of the night? Yeah. The, Are you kidding me? I can't wait for the Mouse Rat episode. The municipal government of Pawnee really supports local artists. Which, like, fine, but put them on the middle. You can't have the Decemberists they're not even, genuine yeah. before them. And they're not even big in Eagleton. They're only big in Pawnee. Right. So in terms of a unity concert, where's the Eagleton represent? Maybe Land Ho or Eagleton. I don't know uh, who's- Or an Eagleton band. Look, we sure. talked in the Third Eye Blind episode how I thought it was ridiculous that Way Home gave Third Eye Blind an hour and a half on Saturday. This is whoever programmed the uni concert also programmed, programmed Way Home, Home 2016. Is what I think happened. I believe that. It, it was probably Aubrey Plaza's character, right? I assume they would have given her the music. Well, yeah, she's like the neutral the hotel fan. Yeah. yeah. Looking into like Michael Schur's connection to all of this. And like at one point in an interview, he's like, I've been trying to work Neutral Milk Hotel into a show forever. <laughs> it's just like, was yeah, just you're like, a white, yeah, yeah, you're a white guy in your 40s. That yeah. makes sense. Because Schur loves the Decembers. Yeah. Like he obviously there's this. Then there's the weirdest Decemberist TV thing. So in the episode called The Farm. Of the office, which was created as a backdoor pilot for a spinoff starring Rain Wilson as Dwight Schrute when he goes to this farm. For some reason, and I to this day do not know why, the episode ends with the entire Schrute family singing Sons and Daughters of all songs. People underestimate the power of nostalgia. If baseball can use it to get people to care about that worthless sport, then I can use it to get my siblings to care about the farm. When we arrive, sons and daughters, we'll make our homes on the water. We'll build our walls, aluminum. We'll fill our mouths, sing around now. I remember when that aired. And they start singing it. I'm like, I know this song. And then as I kept going, I'm like, this is the last song on the Crane Wife. 
why is this happening? Because the Decembrists are the most popular band in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I guess. So there is on the office subreddit, which is r slash Dunder Mifflin, which has over a million members. Guys, get over it. The show was fine. <laughs> it's We don't need to do this. We don't need 1.2 million people in this subreddit. There's a thread. Why would Dwight's family know a Decembrist song? <laughs> oh. And like all the answers are just like, oh, you're overthinking it. Like it sounds like a customary folk song. It's like, yeah, but also it's a Decembrist song. Yeah. Of all like, of the folk tunes. They're like people who don't have the internet and like TV. It's but- extremely strange to me. But yeah, the band released Houses of Love in 2009, The King is Dead in 2011, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World in 2015, and I'll Be Your Girl in 2018. So we've come to everyone's favorite part of the show. It's time to debate things, folks. Is this everyone's favorite part of the show? I don't know. It's it's my favorite part of the show. There we go. Well, no. Blake's intros are my favorite part of the show. Well, yeah. Some of of them are so hard. (laughs) You work so hard at it. It shows. It's a... Tough gimmick that I don't know I'm if very, we were starting over again if I would have done I'm very it. impressed you pulled this one off. Yeah, um, if. Ish. No, it was good. It yeah. was good. I figured we can do two deba- one of two or both debates here. We can either do December's albums, of which there are many, so it's easy to do a full ranking, or we can just talk about our favorite songs on The Crane Wife. We can do both quickly. All right, let's do both quickly. Wilson, why don't you start us off? The short answer is Crane Wife 123 is the best song Colin Molloy has ever written. He has never done anything that has come even close to the ambition and the success of that, but that's not interesting. And we've already (laughs) talked about that and we'll probably talk about it again. So I want to talk about two songs we haven't talked about. Yankee Bayonet, which is a Civil War love song between a, we find out a dead Confederate soldier and his lover. Um, Take that, Confederacy. (laughs) Yeah, take that. Um, Contains, like just to like stop me dead in my tracks when I listen to this album again. It's the one of the last lines of the song. And he says, stems and bones and stone walls too could keep me from you. But this skein of skin is all too few to keep me from you. And that like, if that isn't a beautiful line. I just said like four words of that. <laughs> well, and th- so this is the other thing about the December. When you listen to the December's, have a dictionary with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's also a really great pun in there too. Stems and bones and stone walls too. Like stonewall. a physical Stonewall oh, and Stonewall yeah. Jackson, yeah. exactly oh, yeah. the famed oh, uh, general of the Confederacy. Damn, um, this is I could see. Cowboy's really good. So yeah, he's really good. I did not do this. Sometimes I'll do this to prep for the episodes. This one just seemed like it would be. I would lose like four hours going yes. through the genius annotations oh, for man. a December for this this album in particular. I was actually laughing. A lot of the like the cited works on Wikipedia for this album are just from song facts. Mm-hmm. It's just like exactly that. This is all I did on the train from Ottawa was just read the <laughs> read the song the. Yeah, the, yeah. Genius annotations the genius annotations and, yeah. and then also make notes on, on what I wanted to talk about. The other one I want to talk about is The Perfect Crime 2, which is just slaps. Yeah. Great tune, amazing backbeat. But I want to know your opinion on it. It's a, it's a if you haven't heard the song, listen to the album. It's a heist song. Do you guys think they get away with it? Ooh, no. Stuff. I did while I was listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah, like this is just Ocean's Eleven in a song. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say no, yeah. because the rest, the whole album is that's, too dark. That's right? exactly yeah. my answer. It would be out of place on the album so if I, they got away with it. And like this song comes like smack in the middle of the record, too. Mm-hmm. To have the to have like a success that doesn't end in blood just doesn't seem like the record. Yeah. And if they get away with it, it's like one person gets away with it and the rest of them. Yeah. It's a very Pyrrhic victory. Yeah. See, when I was 21 listening to this album, I was positive they got away with it. And now there is no way. Yeah. <laughs> Five and 20 burglars ride the reservoir. That's too many dudes. Too many yeah. burglars. That's too many guys. That's way too also, many. if I know anything about heist movies, 
there's a double cross in there somewhere. That's too many people someone's to not yes. get double yeah, crossed. Someone's yeah. working against Two you. words are spoken on the tap wire. The agent's ploy finds a surefire backfire. So there it is. Yeah, right. I don't. They, they do not get away with it. No, no way. Uh, so those are those are my two favorite songs that we haven't already talked All right. about. I feel like we should just mention Ovalentia. Yeah, I mean, it's just like mm. a great pop tune. Yeah. So I agree that Cram Wife 1, 2, 3 is the strongest and the best, and they haven't really, I mean, few people have done anything that good and that <laughs> mm-hmm. strong since. My favorite otherwise is the Landlord's Daughter portion of the island, though. It's just like, it's, it's so, so it's, good. Yeah, it's so great, and it's like very, it just reminds me, it's very East Coasty to me, mm-hmm. and eh. Yeah, that's that's my one. That's not, and I know that like picking a chunk out of the twelve minute song is not really picking a song. But no, I get it. There's I mean, th- there's wife, three parts. Yeah. Also, the crane wife, the one, two, and three are just like they, as we've been fond of saying, something it insists upon itself. It's yeah. just like it's the album, and it's so strong. I guess let's just do top three December's records, and then call it a day. So for me, I have alluded to it already, but I don't think the December's have ever succeeded as much as they did on the crane wife. I loved it when I came out. I, as I say, hadn't listened to it a lot in the last couple of years, but going back to it and listening to it far too much this week was actually a really good thing. It's a great record. Definitely my favorite Decemberist record and possibly one of my favorite records now that I've gone back and thought about it a bit more. Then I would say probably Picaresque, which was the other one that was produced by Chris Walla. My first introduction to the Decemberist was the video for 16 Military Wives, which is a like kind of like a Wes Anderson style right, video. Yeah, it's, like yeah. a, it's like a model UN club that... Colin Malloy kind of stages a coup and takes over the Model UN and then everybody revolts against him at the end and it's kind of fun. That's a December's video? No way. Yeah, yeah really. I know. Hard to believe, right? And then probably Castaways and Cutouts, which I think is their f- first, second? First. It's their first record? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. those, those would be my top three. Nice. I have one, two flipped. Okay. Picaresque is, I don't know, it's like, like you said, the introduction to them and it's just stuck with me more and Sporting Life is like probably my favorite December song. That's a good tune. And then I have The King is Dead number three and I know most people... Like the impression that I got was most people like one three album arc of yeah. Decemberist in a row because, you know, obviously the band changes over time and they've kind of gone in a different direction since. But I think The King Is Dead is pretty good. It holds up fairly well. Obviously not nearly the highs of Crane Wife, but yeah, that'd be my number three. I think his songwriting style changed a fair bit because like once you do something like The Crane Wife and then The Hazards of Love, you have to break away yeah. from that. Yeah. But they did a great job with The King of De- Is Dead. It's a great record. It's funny. I went into this. I had the same as Blake. Pick Rest 1, Crane Wife 2, King Is Dead 3. Really? I'm surprised. But I love King Is Dead. I think it's a great rock ah. record. Hmm. But now from doing this research and listening to it and talking about it, I think Crane Wife is my favorite of theirs. Okay. It's very close between the two of them. Yeah. The, my... I guess it's not really a hot take, but it's not maybe a popular take amongst members. I do not like the Hazards of Love. It's a difficult record. I and like I know it's sort of intentionally loud and weird, and they it, that's kind of the point of it. But I don't enjoy listening to it at all. The songs that he played from it when I saw him perform solo were great. And right, like out of again, what you were saying, it's hard to take them out of the context. Mm-hmm. They worked really well out of context, but it's it's it. I think it is the only Decemberist record from. Castaways and Cutouts through What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World that I don't own. Really? I have never purchased Hazards of Love. And if you don't know, Wilson, what, you have like over a thousand records, something like that? I, I'm i hovering around 1,500 LPs. So, yeah, yeah we, we don't have a Twitter or anything like that to promote, but follow him on Discogs? <laughs> Is that- uh, I am on you Discogs. You are on Discogs, yeah. yeah. I am on Discogs. I'm, I'm also on Instagram. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, there you go. I uh, post infrequently. I don't... Um, <laughs> I don't think I'll Be Your Girl is that strong an album, no, but I, I want to honorable mention, I think Once in My Life is not only one of their best songs, but the video for that song is incredible. And I think it's 
I think it warrants mentioning just because I don't think we're going to come back to Decemberist anytime soon. The video for that song is unbelievable. Yeah. With the seven foot two learning disabled guy dancing through the streets of L.A. And the backstory of that, it being like the music director's brother and how they came to that. And I think Malloy's son is autistic. I think so. I believe you're right. So like the the power behind that of like him being able to do a video like this to one of their songs. And it's it's a very good song. Too. Yeah. But the if anyone hasn't seen the video for Once in My Life, it's like a very touching, uplifting video. I have not seen it. I will it's watch inc- it. It's incredible. incredible. I will watch it when it's I leave. It's really good. I'm very curious. Speaking of I'll Be Your Girl. We've kind of talked about how the Decemberists sort of go through phases as a band. Like they're, you could say like the first three are sort of their like, I for lack of a better word, Victorian like rock records. Good then, God. but then like then you have Crane Wife and Has the Love, which are these very high concept records. And then King is Dead, What a Terrible World, and I'll Be Your Girl are pretty straightforward rock pop, pop records. records. Yeah. I'm curious as to what the next one will be if they're gonna go back to high concept or if they're just a pop band now which is which is fine well they did in 2016 which they've i mean they've released i'll be your girl since then but in 2016 they did a 10th anniversary crane wife tour where they played the album in its entirety so maybe that's kind of worked its way back into their plus they'll hear this episode that's right like oh yeah that album was when we were i mean we so far shows have had powers yeah we brought my chemical romance back back, so you guys did it we did you did it yeah okay so this is normally the part of the podcast where we would pick one of these songs that we just talked about it's as our tough, favorite to add to the mixtape. Unfortunately, no matter what we pick, the mixtape is coming to a screeching halt now. Yes. <laughs> because there's either going to be a 12-minute song or a high-concept song that's plucked out of its context and dropped onto the mixtape. I'm leaning toward picking not one of the best and most important songs on the Agreed. album because it's not a good like Crane Wife 3 is a good song, but as a mixtape song, it's a little awkward. Unless you're opening the mixtape with it, it's not going to work. Yeah. And even then, like that mixtape has to be very folky. Like yeah. you, we can't lead from that on a mixtape that also has a song from Welcome to the Black Parade. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. Yeah. There's an excellent B-side that we haven't talked about that's on the 10th anniversary edition. It's called The Culling of the Fold. Right. The secret song or whatever. Yeah. It's it's also included on Spotify as the like ex, the last track on the Crane Wife, which it is not. I don't know why Spotify does this. It drives <laughs> I think me it's crazy. They don't have anywhere else to put it. Probably. Yeah. Nobody's gonna listen to the Culling of the Fold single. I would highly recommend the Culling of the Fold. Interesting. This is tough because I have leaned toward wanting the guests to pick. Pick. Yes. But also But I'm objectively wrong here. No, so. it's more that we like, know the song. It's more that we've we've also ruled out B sides. In, oh, in previous I, episodes. Oh, yeah. I was unaware of that. Well, then I think I would, it has to be the perfect crime, too. Sing the muse of the passion of the pistol. Sing the muse of the warning by the whistle. I night so dark and
Thanks, guys. Yeah, Wilson. Thanks so much for coming on. You're yeah. wonderful. Oh, man. Not that I'm surprised that you're wonderful. You're always wonderful. Oh, I appreciate it, Blake. Thank yes. you. I have the, to say, the preparation here with I had a long train ride. Nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, I I could have watched any number of things on no, Netflix. This is, more fun. this is more fun. I have to say, I am a 34 year old man who, until you started this podcast, had never listened to the Black Parade or From Under the Cork Tree. So thank you for getting me back into pop punk. Uh, and thanks for having me on the show. This was great. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Wilson, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me.